Hi there. Welcome to episode four of season four of the Simplify and Multiply show. And today I have a question for you. Do you know who wrote the million dollar one person business, make great money, work the way you like, have the life you want? Well, guess what? You're going to get to meet her. That's Elaine Pofelt is here with us today on episode four of season four of the Simplify and Multiply show. Let's do it. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. Hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Well, hello, Elaine. Welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. It is so wonderful to have you here. Oh, it's awesome to be here, Terry. Thank you. And the the way that I connected with you was when I was uh, one of my clients, Ed Barrows, uh, referred your book, The Million Dollar One Person Business, Make Great Money, Work the Way You Like, Have the Life You Want. And that's like the epitome of everything I'm about. So I'm like, I got to get my hands on this book. I can't believe I didn't even know about it. And I read it, I think, like in two days. It was done. And I'm like, oh, I have got to talk to Elaine. So when I reached out to you and you were so generous and welcoming, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I love I love what you're doing with the show, Terry. And I, I love your focus on solopreneurs. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's one of my favorite things to do right now. So I'm so glad to have you here. So this particular season is called Niche, Niche, Niche for Strength. And when solopreneurs do their business, they struggle sometimes with finding the right niche. And some of them uh, will go for an audience that may be low-lying fruit but may not be necessarily a good fit to their strengths. So one of the things that I'm bringing to the surface in my interviews of guests and the way I talk about this particular topic this season is about having a balance of both. So finding an audience or a group of people that have a need and matching that with your strengths, because if you're matching it with your strengths, not only is it going to be easy work to do, but you're going to enjoy it more and you're going to be able to bring about results more. So I'm trying to kind of highlight both things when we talk about niche, as opposed to it being more of a a marketing mechanism, so to speak. That's very smart, Terry, because you do have to be able to sell whatever you're marketing and you also have to be excited about it or you won't want to sell it. So I think you do need to marry those two things. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that because you have got so much experience in your writing for so many amazing publications. And what you did in the book was incredible. I hope you're going to do follow on books because I loved every bit of it. I wish it was like twice as long. Oh, thank I learned you. Well, so I am much. actually working on the next book. Um, you stay are? tuned. Yeah, I can't say too much about it yet. But but I will be building on the ideas in the book because I am I'm very passionate about the topic. And as I got into it, I realized there was so much more to say. So 
um, that, I guess that's for a future podcast. But <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, well, but, I will definitely have you back uh, to talk about that when you get that out onto the newsstands. That's fabulous. I'm so super excited for you. And I'm glad you're doing more books. Yay. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's great. So in when we look at the all of the solopreneurs and entrepreneurs that you interviewed in order to put this book together, and just in your general research, writing the articles and topics that you write about, can you give some examples of some solopreneurs who have really identified very unique or specific niches that have propelled their business and really accelerated their success? And it can be in any category, because I know you covered a lot of different categories uh, in the book, you know, real estate, uh, professional services, things like that. So it, you know, it's kind of category neutral in my mind. Oh, great. Well, w- one example uh, is um, a couple, Ben and Camille Arneberg. They've actually had three niche businesses, so they're kind of interesting. Now, Camille came from a background in corporate social sustainability, and Ben was in the military, jumping out of airplanes with a parachute, you know, sort of an oh, exciting wow. life. And they wanted a business that they could do together that played into both of their shared interests, but also how to market. And they, they were e-commerce. They are e-commerce entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about it, a solopreneur business or a couple, because I read about non-employer businesses, so I'm talking about those that have no payroll. So they could be a right. husband and wife team or two friends. Um, taking on e-commerce is tough, right? Because you have Amazon and you can never be Amazon as one or two people. So the way to excel is to really specialize in something where you can really put your own personal brand on it and bring your own expertise and do it better than any giant player. One of their shared interests was entertaining. So their first business, Willow and Everett, was a business where they sold decorative party wear, things like decanters and mugs and wine glasses, that type of thing. And what they did was pick six or seven products that they thought would sell. And they did kind of a horse race. They ordered them in small quantities. And then they saw what people responded to. And then they doubled down on investing in the ones that people liked. And then they reduced the prices of the ones that people didn't like and reinvested the money from those sales back into the business. Now, they had another business called CubeFit. They're both into fitness, so that's another shared passion that they have. And they like stand-up desks. And they partnered with another couple um, where the um, husband in that couple had actually gotten a blood clot while using a stand-up desk. He wasn't moving around a lot um, while he was standing there, and so he realized it was important to, to do that. And they created a mat that forces you to shift your weight. And they raised the money on Kickstarter, very niche type of business, right? Mats for stand-up desks. Think of all the types of mats there are in the world. And they wound up creating another million-dollar business. They sold both of those businesses for around a million dollars. And then they moved on to pet honesty. And think of all the pet businesses there are, right? There's so many pet businesses. They, They focused on healthy all natural dog treats because they love pets and they realized that there really weren't that many all natural dog treats that you know they could choose from for their own pets. So those are three examples where they, they very much tested the idea 
but they didn't do something they would be bored with because you, you have to really think about it when you when you choose the idea for your business will you want to talk about it all day every day because yeah. you're going to have to right if that's what <laughs> yeah, if that's your of. service or your product like in my mm -hmm. my area i'm a writer I'm a journalist. There's some things I wouldn't want to be a journalist covering because I wouldn't want to think about them all day. You know, entrepreneurship just sort of snuck up on me. I didn't even know I was interested in it. I got into it, found that I loved it. And now you know, many years later, I'm still writing about it and I never get bored. I really always find something new to say about it or something new to explore. That's, that's the ideal. It doesn't have to be what you planned on. Right. But you, uh, otherwise, you're just going to hate it. I, I remember mm -hmm. Alan Walton, who started Spy Guy and e-commerce camera store, said that it has like with cameras, you're going to get customer service calls. So you want to actually answer those technical calls because you are going to be the customer service in the beginning about cameras. If you hate cameras, that would not be a good business for you. So it applies to anything. I mean, if you're an accountant, maybe your niche is serving certain types of businesses. Well, you have to like talking about those kind of businesses. So it's, it's a matter of self-knowledge, but then also product market fit or service market fit. Right. And that's how a lot of people initially look at their niching or where they're targeting, because obviously you have to design your marketing around the audience that you're trying to target so you can speak to them. Right. But I love that this couple, the example you just gave, just started with what interested them and where they had some degree of knowledge in addition to their interest. And I'm sure they expanded that as they did research. The way they went about testing their products from an e-commerce standpoint is, is brilliant. And how they found those, and I remember reading this in your book, how they found those real win-win kind of products and they beefed that up and then just kind of phased the other ones out. So have you, um, speaking of uh, customer service, have you seen any of these businesses where they also niche themselves or maybe differentiate might be a better word through the way they serve their customers oh, and absolutely. how they take that's, care of them? Yeah, that's a really great question, Terry, because that's the area where the one person business can excel, mm -hmm. right? Think about how many times we all call the bank or health insurance company and it's like, press one to do this and they you get transferred yeah. 50 times. By the end, you're cursing and you're hoping it's not recording you. It, 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 with the one-person business, you can get the owner on the phone or by email or you, or by chat, and it's the mm -hmm. real person. Yeah. And people welcome that and love that. One person who's done really well with that um, in the opening chapter, Laszlo Nadler, he founded Tools for Wisdom, and what he sells are planners. And he's, he's a niche player, right? There's a zillion planners and daybooks out there. I mean, just Absolutely. millions of them. His thing is creating planners that help you move towards your life's biggest goals. They're inspirational. Um, his main customers tend to be midlife women, and he's got a very avid following. And when he first started out, he did this as a side business while he was working for Bank of America to sort of test it out before he left and went full time. And for several years, he would get feedback from those customers if they said, oh, this page in the planner didn't make sense to me. He'd get on the phone with them and get their detailed feedback about how he can make it better. And then wow. he would act on it. That's part of it, too, is acting on it. And that is what made his business so successful. He got to about $2 million in revenue on his own as a solopreneur. Now he, now wow. he has an employee mm -hmm. by using that approach. 
because who knows better what your customers want than they do. Hello. Yeah. I know. But it's, you and, know, it takes time to do that. And some mm-hmm. people might feel shy or sometimes you get feedback and you can be taken aback a little bit and not, not want to hear it. But if you can just sort of take a Zen attitude and say, you know what, let me just be neutral and just hear what they have to say and see if it does have some credibility. And you may decide, you know what, that's not really what my business is about. I don't want to go in that direction. I don't have the passion for that. Let someone else do that. But at least you've heard them. And maybe there are some things that the customers have to say that really could help you improve your product or, or your service, too. Right, exactly. And, you know, good for him for putting a product into the market and inviting those uh, customers to actually let them know, uh, it, you know, what, what's working? What do you like? What do you not like? And and you can really only do that at a certain scale. And, and God bless him for, you know, investing the time into really fine tuning and dialing in that planner because it's very subjective. You know, everybody's probably going to have a different type of reaction to it or, you know, I like this, but I didn't like that. And, you know, sorting through all that can be really challenging. So it's almost like these initial customers, until he really got it dialed in, were like his mini partners in a way in his uh, research and development of this of this product, of oh, this definitely. product line of planners. And then they become very passionate supporters and raving fans. Because when you see, if you call a company and they actually act on what you have suggested, think of how validating that is. And, that is and, a and you huge do have to, point. Yeah, you do have to discriminate in terms of what you act on and what you don't. I know, like I remember somebody when I wrote the book saying, it would have been better you know, to have an accounting textbook and learn how to do you know, basic accounting. And I thought, well, that's not the essence of entrepreneurship at all, right? Like you <laughs> no. can get an accounting textbook and have no idea how to start a business. So that wouldn't be feedback that I would act on. But at the same time, I could say, you know what, maybe I could on the next book, I could have a little bit more about the financial aspect of business mm-hmm. um, for people that want to go a little deeper into that. So it's kind of figuring out what makes sense to actually act on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it really interesting, too, because that requires a lot of one-on-one attention in the beginning. And when you're just that one solopreneur, it's requiring a lot. So there's got to be a degree of commitment to the customer, to listening, to getting on the phone and having those conversations. Oh, definitely. And sometimes experimenting. I know um, I'm a ghostwriter and I also do writing coaching. And what works with one client doesn't always work with another one. Sometimes with the subject matter, like if someone's writing about traumatic subject subject matter, you might have to read between the lines and say, okay, I could see this person is having trouble remembering something. Maybe this is a sign mm-hmm. of trauma. So let's switch to some other aspect of the book for a few weeks and then come back to it and see if that works for them in order to give them a little mental space to to um, draw that material out of themselves. Yeah, and you know, with other people, you can be very direct and just kind of keep going right through all the questions. It's, there's sort of a judgment call. And I think with any kind of service business, you've got to read people. Sometimes their mood is different when you're working with them. And there's an urge to standardize and just make everything kind of systematic. But I mm-hmm. think that where the one-person business can really excel is by offering a very high level of service that's very customized high touch, to the yeah. to the um, person that you're serving because every even a person at a company is still a person yes 
And, and a lot of business is the emotional side of things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just doing a phone call with them, even though there's really no business purpose for it, except to reassure them that the project is moving forward. <laughs> you know, It's yeah. knowing when to do that and realizing you're not wasting time. This is actually a huge investment in cementing the relationship and allowing that person to go home and have a good night's sleep instead of waking up at three o'clock in the morning and wondering if you've done their web design. You know, it's and I I think these folks really understand that they spend a lot of time, uh, you know, those that are in the service businesses spend a lot of time meeting with clients, going to events where they're around people in their industry, because those relationships are so important. They are. And as a solopreneur, we have the freedom to do that, to move about. You know, we don't have somebody lording over us saying you can't, you know, directly talk to the customers or, you know, stay in your lane kind of thing. It's really just, I mean, it's a the wild, wild west. We can get out there and interact with customers and prospective customers however we want. And based on the feedback we get and the interactions and the relationship building that's happening, that's what builds our business. And that's what allows people to get to know us as human beings. And it's interesting because I I just recently uh, attended Simon T. Bailey's Speaker B School. And one of the things that he talked about, about regarding growing your business as a professional speaker or solopreneur is we're moving into this era of a much more, it's already kind of started, but it's really coming to a head with technology allowing us to have our own businesses and have our own voices and publication channels and everything. The control is finally in all on us, really. Mm -hmm. But we also have to work twice as hard to actually get out there in the noise and make things happen. But it's more about being a human being, turning business into something that's about relationships, cultivating the the human side of doing business because in my world there's what i see people trying to do is automate everything they you know put automation where there should be human beings and they don't take the time to insert themselves into places that do nurture and build the relationship and let people get to know them and what they want to do as far as building their business and providing a solution that really makes sense for people And that's one of the things that I love about being a solopreneur is we do have that freedom to get ourselves in there and have those one-on-one conversations with our prospects and and customers and learn. I mean, that's, that's the most powerful takeaway from all of that. Oh, I agree. And I, I think that it's, it's very much neglected. I think you're right. A lot of people feel like they have to automate everything to be maximally efficient and have a great personal life outside of the business. But there's a lot of joy in getting to know the customer. Some of my customers are really close friends. And when when you're working with people that you really care about, it brings a lot of meaning to the business. And and those relationships can continue for your whole career and really deepen your life. Because if everything is transactional, there's sort of a I think a dissatisfaction that creeps in, you know, kind of like, is this all there is, you know, the money is coming in from my automated business, but what impact am I having? What purpose do I have? I I do think we, we have a human need to connect with people and we're losing those opportunities unless we create them for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Everything is online now and I'm not against online, as you know, if you've read the book, right? It's a great tool for us. 
but it, it part of being a, a business that scales is understanding when you do need to bring the human side of things to the business. And that's where you get referrals too. I and mean, people know if you actually care or don't care. They do. And, they do. and, and you will really stand out if you do care because unfortunately a lot of people don't. So when you're one of the carers, they tell people. Because mm-hmm. think and about how many people are disengaged, right, at work. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, if you're going into business as a solopreneur, you know, don't make it about the money. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that are out there and they're all about the numbers and automation and just, you know, selling courses or selling whatever they're selling. And that's fine. That's one form of business. It's not the kind of business I'm running, <laughs> nor is it the kind of business I encourage my clients to run because I'm so relationship focused. And it is an emotional thing for me. It's a social, emotional um you know, that's why so much of the work that I do with my clients is around building their confidence and getting to know their true selves. So then I can execute or direct them with a strategy that brings that out and allows them to get more fulfillment from the work they do through their business. Otherwise, yeah, you become like a mini big box type of a company when exactly. it's all transactional. Yeah. yeah. And it takes some work. I mean, sometimes I think um, new entrepreneurs get frustrated with the onboarding process when you can't mm. just get people to fill out a Google form <laughs> and get to the bottom of what they need. But what I've noticed is the very successful solopreneurs do take that time and they go beneath the surface. I mean, sometimes you can ask somebody, I know sometimes I'll say to someone, if I'm doing a, a ghostwritten book, what what is the business purpose of this book? What do you hope to get out of it? Is it I mean, maybe there is no business purpose. Maybe you just want to tell your story and this is your legacy. Or do you hope to attract new customers? Or do you hope to get speaking engagements? And people don't always think these things through ahead of time. And they'll say, well, actually, I don't care. I just want to get my vision down on paper. And then as you get to know them, you realize, no, they actually do want to get some customers from this. So then if that's the case, then you're going to want a book that's more focused on their business results or things like that and not just their riff on the universe, you know? And so it's important to probe a little bit and read between the lines and sometimes see things that people cannot see about themselves and bring out the best in them, like you're talking about, Terry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so funny the way you just uh, gave that example because I got to have you back for um, next <laughs> uh, for season six, which is writing a book that builds your business. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> And that's so, oh, yeah, I know that's great that it. you just mentioned that because I'm like, okay, all right. Not only are we going to have you back for your next book that you're doing, but I'm going to have to have you back for that season. I have passionate opinions on this, so I'd be happy to that's share. Good. That. That's good. That's good. Well, one of the things that I also wanted to ask you about regarding, you know, some examples of how people have niched their business is in the professional services like consultants, professional speakers, trainers. Um, coaches, things like that, people who are actually selling their brain expertise in between their ears. And what have they done to create a niche in their voice and their expertise as they're solving problems in their business? Oh, that's a great question. Well, sometimes they just lean into what they were doing in corporate life. Um, One entrepreneur I wrote about for Forbes, I met him after I wrote the book, Chad Patchkey. He's in Austin, Texas. And he 
is a very specialized type of consultant who advises refineries on how to avoid fires and explosions, right? Now, now we can't all do that, but he, he's a highly that's, compensated that's pretty professional. specific, It's yeah. very specific, right? So he wanted, he's a father of five, a single dad, and wanted flexibility. So he left his corporate job and he got to a million in about a year what he did was he's in his 50s and he knew a number of colleagues who were a little bit older than him who were getting into that zone where they wanted to slow down their career a little bit so they can travel and see the grandkids and, you know, just do fun things in their life. Mm -hmm. So he hired them as contractors. I love it. And they all have this niche expertise and he can build them out at at least $200 an hour, sometimes over $300 an hour. And that's a very specialized niche. He knows it wow. inside out. And there's a lot of people, you know, sometimes people think, oh, you have to be 22 to start a business. There's a lot of people at that experience level who are experts in some very specific or wonky area of business or mm-hmm. or something that they can monetize it when they go out on their own. And And he was an example of how you don't have to do all the work yourself. Right, he charges a markup on these folks' services because he's doing the the administration, and that's paying him for his time. So that's that's a way that you can do it. Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Are you niched enough? As you know, I'm focusing on exploring niching your business this season with the sole desire to give you the confidence and know-how to develop a niche that positions you as the go-to expert. Unfortunately, many solopreneurs are unsure of how they should niche and they worry if they're narrowing their niche so much that there won't be any prospects. I will tell you right now not to be concerned about niching too much. What you need is the right objectivity to see your value and your ideal client clearly so you can choose a niche that is a natural reflection of who you are. Now, when you do that, everything else falls into place and your ideal clients start coming at you from the most unexpected places. And if you want help figuring out your niche, I can help. All you have to do is pick a time to talk with me one-on-one for free about your niche by visiting pappychat.com. This is a great opportunity for you to get valuable input about what you're building and how to create a well-positioned brand that drives a ton of business. Get yours on the calendar now. Hit up pappychat.com and niche, niche, niche for strength. Book yours now. That's P-A-P-P-Y-C-H-A-T.com. I'm going to remember that because I have some clients that that model would actually fit really, really well, um, as opposed to kind of bringing someone up in their technology to work with people that have been in their sphere already, you know, circling in their universe, so to speak, who have the same expertise that they do already, and that they can actually support them in in creating a little bit of scale. Um, obviously, the revenue is is a little depleted because you are basically profit sharing with with your partner, but you're able to serve more clients. So it kind of evens out. Absolutely. And I mean, and you wouldn't be able to go after that amount of work on your own. No one can do more than a certain amount. Um, right. And another way to do this as a professional services firm is by informational marketing, which is very lucrative if you do it right. Brian Dean is another entrepreneur I met after I wrote the book. And he um, 
he's, he was a copywriter and he got tired of just scrambling after the next project. And what he did was he had written an article about SEO that did really well. And he realized he actually knew a lot about it. Which is it. kind of funny if you think about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he, But he, it was like this extremely elaborate, like 100 point article. Maybe it's not 100, wow. but it was, I saw the, what he did. It was very popular. So he created a course out of it. And this was a little bit before the whole course craze. Yeah. And that became his million dollar one man business. He sold it for about $900 if memory serves me and doesn't do the copywriting projects anymore. Another copywriter I wrote about for Forbes, Dana Derricks did something really interesting and he created big ticket books. So what he, he did was he was teaching clients how to do it themselves. Cause we all have, you know, a lot of times when you have a professional services business, you have like, if I, I have some people that I write the whole book for as a ghostwriter, some people, don't want the full service, they would like to write it and they want me to edit and right. that costs less, you know, and you have different variations on the theme. So he was teaching people how to do the copywriting. And then he said, well, what if I create a book where I charge not the usual like $20 cover price, but I charge based on the value the book will create. So I've decided this first book is going to cost $400. And he sold about a thousand copies of mm. the book. And then he kept on scaling up the price of these different books. And with each scale up, he sold fewer of the books, but he earned more from each book. And that's another approach where you can say, you know what, what I'm teaching is very valuable. And I'm going to sell it at a, you know, at a high price point that corresponds to the value that it will create for the client. Absolutely. Value-based pricing is key. Yeah, because a lot of times we something that we think is easy because we're good at it is really hard for someone else. Like oh, I, I I suffer from that all the time because I'm like, what? Come on, you got to do that. And I'm like, no, they really can't. <laughs> people can't. I mean, that, it, it, it's like I look at my accountant. I'm like, how does he do that? It, it's so hard, you know? Mm. And, you know, whereas he probably looks at what I do and thinks it's really hard. So if you really if you know you're doing a good job, it's it's important to stay current on what pricing yeah. is, because I do think, especially if you have a passion for something, you're like, I do this even for free, but you, you shouldn't do it for free because you want to build a sustainable business. Otherwise, you won't right. be around I want for the to future. <laughs> I mean, you could just do, I, I, and we all do pro bono work for certain sure, clients, sure. nonprofits and things like that. But on a general basis, you, you do need to run a sustainable business and one that can grow and has money to grow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, you've given some really great examples, Elaine. Now what I want to shift and ask you more from an, you know, because you've been exposed to all these conversations and these great business people who are doing some amazing things in the world, I'm sure you've been like, wow, that's such a cool concept or wow, that's such a great approach. If if you have um, someone who's like either just starting out or that they're at that point in their solo business where they're just kind of maybe feeling a little burned out, maybe feeling like they need a shift of some sort, what recommendations would you make based on the interviews you've had, what you've been exposed to, and just kind of what you've surmised as a professional yourself as a way for that solopreneur to maybe shift their niche or come up with a better niche or a deeper niche or expand into their preferences? What are some of the things that you uh, would advise them to consider? Well, the, I, the first thing I would say is seek community. 
because when you're in your own head at your own laptop in your house or your co-working space you're not going to find the answer because you're too close to your business. You, you need to get input from, I call them friendly competitors. When you're a solopreneur, no one's really a competitor, right? Because, because there's only so much work you can do. So some of my best friends are other small business writers. And technically, we're competing for the same projects. But often, we actually team up on things. And it, it, it just works out that way, the nature of being solopreneurs. So going to events masterminds. I just attended a group called Fast Track that's funded by the Kauffman Foundation, and it takes mm -hmm. place in libraries and um, public colleges. And they'll have a group of eight people that are led by a business coach on how to start a business. Um, and you get a lot of feedback. I happened to attend a pitching session at the Kingsbridge Public Library in the Bronx, and they were bulletproofing their business model. And it was so interesting to hear one woman wow. was starting um, a business, where, an online business, and she would include either one phone call or several phone calls as part of the initial subscription price. And the, the whole group was bulletproofing it and saying, you know, how, how, how could you do that many phone calls in one month? Yeah, you know? scalability. And, and you need that. And in terms yeah. of a niche, you really, you need to talk to other people who know the market mm -hmm. and know what the market will bear, you know, and what's being done out there. You know, of course, you want to do market research, read market research sure. reports and things, but um, talking to customers, too, or thinking about the pain points they mention that you're not addressing, and then do small experiments. I'm a very big believer in that, like not throwing a ton of money at something right out of the starting gate. Just test it on a very small level, like Camille and Ben Arneberg did with their products. Just get a mm -hmm. few and see if people buy them, because there might be some factor you don't know about. I even think yeah. about that with books. Books are a big project. So sometimes when someone comes to me and says they want to write a book, I say, well, why don't we do an article first to just mm. see if we can even place an article somewhere about this? Because if we can't place an article, it would be very hard to sell a book. And there could be some factor going on in the marketplace that you haven't thought of or that I don't know about that we'll discover soon enough. Um, you know, say you're I don't know, writing, writing a fitness book on a specific type of fitness um, program. And then one of the Kardashians decides to write a book about that, right? Even if your yeah. book is better, maybe it's not the time to release that book, <laughs> yeah. right? So that's something totally out of your hands, but you might need to yeah. know about it. Maybe you wait a year to release it. And it could be true with anything. There, mm -hmm. There's just these wild card things where if you test and you know, you put feelers out, you'll gather that information very quickly. So you don't waste a lot of money and time on something that won't come to fruition, no matter how good it is. And you could focus on what will. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I think that you, the first thing that came out was seek community. I love that idea. Because you're right. I mean, we do I, I catch myself doing this a lot where because I'm so creative, I'm constantly coming up with all these ideas, whether it's for a client or for my own business. And and there's this vacuum of like, I don't know if this is going to be something that's going to fly or not. And so you have to stop and take the time to do the research, to flesh it out and get the feedback that you need. Because a lot of these ideas are very inspired ideas that kind of come from within, but they need to be baked a little bit more in order for, you know, release to the general public, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there's a factor where, especially if you work from home, 
maybe your family is around you or your roommate or the people who are around you all the time are probably a little tired of hearing about your business. (laughs) So so it's good to talk to people that haven't heard it all before and and can bring some objectivity to it. Because because you I know, like if I talk to my husband about a book I'm working on, you know, he's he's heard it all. He he, he, he's kind of, he was he's like cut to the chase at this point. So so you, you, you do need that objectivity. I think you also need the juice that comes from being around other entrepreneurial people, because yeah. if you're a lot of us have friends from all different types of careers. And if you go out to dinner with a bunch of corporate friends and they're talking about corporate life, you may feel a little disconnected when you're the quirky person working on your solo business and you don't have the security that they do. I mean, in some ways, I think we have more security, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, You you need the reinforcement that you're not totally crazy for going after your business. And you'll only get that by being around other people that are passionate about their business and are, are going after their own thing. Yeah, and because there are a lot of naysayers that can take the wind out of your balloon, really. Oh. And you, that's you got to be tough skin around that, you know, like stick to your dream. If you're really passionate and, and jazzed and energized by it, then yeah, for sure. You got to just watch out for that. I would say just prove them wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of times naysayers really are looking out for you. They're worried that you're going to spend all your time on something that's going to fail or you'll go broke and you'll never be able to own a home and all these other things. So (laughs) you're not going to convince them otherwise because they tend to be risk averse people. But what will convince them if you go back to your desk and you keep on working on your business and you focus on producing business results and you actually produce them, then Mm -hmm. it's very hard to argue with that. And then all of a sudden, some of the naysayers are going to come around and realize, hey, you were really serious about that and you made it work and you figured it out and you persevered, and then they become your biggest supporters. I've just seen this time and time again. But sometimes if you're really not doing things to grow your business, they can also be a reality check. I mean, if if you're still just talking about the idea and you're not making any money from it, you're not going out and getting customers, then then that might also be a reality check that this isn't the right business for you or the timing isn't right for a business. So – They have their value in life, even though Mm. sometimes they can bring you down. But it's also so important to be around people that that get it. You know, when it comes to entrepreneurship, and it's it's energizing too when you're around people who get excited with you. Oh, it's so much fun! At the end of the day, you're still doing all the work. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's it it is a little lonely being a solopreneur. But there's Mm -hmm. about 28 million small businesses in the U.S. 81 percent of them are non-employer businesses and the vast majority of those are solopreneurs. So you actually have a lot of company. <laughs> so whether you realize Good. it or not, there are solopreneurs all around you. And when you go and hang out with them, it just reminds you that it's really not such a unique thing to be doing anymore. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. We just have to find a way to kind of come together and hang out a little bit more often. So I think that that's the trend we're going to start seeing more and more are ways and facilitated scenes and venues where solos can do that outside of this whole kind of canned networking event type crap. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, sometimes those networking events are very stressful for people anyway. They feel like they have yeah. to hand out business cards. And I don't really like going to them where they force you into different exercises <laughs> and things like that. But just sometimes yeah. small group things. Like I actually found the Fast Track program, which is either free or a very low cost 
program was great because it was eight to 10 people. And you really did get to know just even the day that I was there, I got to know all about the different businesses there. You get to know the other people. And those are the kind of situations that lead to lasting relationships where you actually get Mm -hmm. to know people. So I would recommend those sometimes curated events. There actually is an entrepreneur in the book, Jason Gagnard, who runs Mastermind Talks. And that's a curated event. It's not inexpensive. I think it's about $10,000 to go and it's by application only. But he works all year on making sure that the lineup of guests is perfect and everybody's sitting next to the perfect person that will help them grow their business. And he's got the perfect speakers and that's the whole business. And something like that, it, you know, it, it is an investment. I have not gone to his event specifically, but there's a number of events like this out there. Yeah, they might be in industry specific. Sure. It can be really worth it because mm-hmm. it, it really is an environment where you're going to make those kind of connections that last a lifetime. I love it. I love it. Prove them wrong. All right, Miss Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm. I just could talk to you forever, but I am going to have you back multiple times now that we've uh, gotten our first show off finally. And uh, thank you for all that you contributed. You're incredibly generous with your stories and all of these wonderful solopreneurs that you've uh, been able to talk to and understand their business so you could create that wonderful book for us. And I want to recommend your book again to everybody. Please go out and get The Million Dollar One Person Business uh, by Elaine Pofelt. It's on Amazon. It's a bestseller. It's so awesome. You have to have it. And that's my plug for you, my dear. And thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Terry. And thank you for all that you do for solopreneurs and for the one-person businesses out there. It's um, it's really important. Podcasting is so important for bringing people together and you know, sharing of information. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I feel that in my heart. Thank you, my dear. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.